Good morning, everyone. Kadima Chi. You are listening to Good Ancestors and Local Treasures with Corrine Pierce on KZYX. Sinwama, welcome. Pika Bitamte Ana. I am your host, KC Corrine Pierce. I'm a local Pomo basket weaver, traditional artist, herbalist, dancer, storyteller, and cultural educator with ancestry from Lake and Mendocino County tribes. Yawi. Thank you for joining me today to take a closer look at some of the amazing people, places, and events that make our home in Mendocino, Lake, and Sonoma counties unique and rich. I'm grateful to be able to share some of my personal heroes and friends who happen to be some of the most influential movers and shakers in our local indigenous community and beyond. The song that you just heard was a shakehead song sung by Thomas Brown. If you listen to Good Ancestors and Local Treasures with any regularity, you may have noticed that most of my shows begin or end with a song sung by Mr. Thomas Leon Brown of the Alempomo. I'm very sad to share the news of his passing on February 23rd. Thomas was a cultural teacher, leader, and carrier of songs and traditions for his people. He was married to his wife for over 50 years. On a personal note, he was a a strong supporter of my work in the Native community, and he always showed up for me when I needed him, and even before I knew I needed him. He generously provided me the space to hold the first ever men's pomo cradle weaving class at no charge. He even provided lunch for all the participants. Last year, in February of 2022, I had the honor of having him on this program. I will forever be grateful for the support that he gave me throughout my life and for his permission to use his recordings to share our our rich culture with the larger community. I want to extend my deepest condolences to his family and let them know that I am keeping them in my thoughts and sending prayers at this time. Um. On a happier note, (laughs) I'm really glad that we got the technical issue sorted out. I'm hoping that that uh, is true, and we have our amazing guests. I stayed up really late last night and wrote this great uh, monologue about uh, Women's History Month and International Women's Day and the history of that. Um, But we got a late start this morning. It was crazy coming down the road from Willits, so everybody please be careful on the roads. I had a four-wheel drive, and I still uh, lost control at the end of the drive, so I'm hoping that everybody is staying home if you can, and if you do have to get somewhere, just use caution. Um, I'm, we're celebrating Women's History Month today, and I have two amazing guests and I'm hoping that they can hear me. Ladies, can you hear me? Are you there? Yes. Yay! Awesome. So I am skipping past all of my stuff about women's history um, because uh, these women have enough to talk about, and I think there's no better way to celebrate women's history than to let women have their voices heard, and these two women are astounding. So my first guest is Nicole Whipple. 
She is a member of the Round Valley Indian Tribe. She's an outreach specialist and adjunct criminal justice instructor at Mendocino College on the Round Valley Reservation. She's an Ed Trust Justice Fellow, as well as a Save California Salmon intern. I've known Nicole for decades, possibly her entire life, (laughs) and I have had the immense honor of meeting her children, dancing with her, weaving with her, and creating art with her. It gives me great pleasure to be able to introduce her to our listeners today and to give her the opportunity to let you all know the amazing things that she has done and what she has coming up for our community. Welcome, Nicole Sintamana. Sintamana, heyo heyo, and hey Tanani. Thank you for having me. What an honor it is to be honored by someone like yourself, Corinne. Um, it definitely warms my heart, and I thank you so very much for sharing um, your stories, as we all have beautiful stories and have learned so much about um, our Mr. Brown, and you know our hearts go out to our uh, Brown family during their loss and um, and thank them all for allowing us to share time and space and learn from their father as well. Um, so with that, um, are we gonna start with questions? Do you have a question for me or would you just like me to go on a little bit about what I do? Um, I don't usually ask questions a lot. So normally you, everyone listening doesn't get to hear this part. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, uh, my my goal is to just let you introduce yourself to everybody that's listening today that might not know you. So give us a little history of who you are, who your people are, what you do in our community, and then I know that you have some stuff going coming up um, that you could use community support for. So. I try not to interrupt. <laughs> uh, it is a struggle for me sometimes, but um, I, I try not to interrupt. So I don't have a lot of questions. I might ask you a question uh, if you mention something that I, I think we should know more about. But really, the floor is yours. Okay, great. So thank you again. So my my day job is I work for Mendocino College. Well, first of all, you know, I'm a, a, a parent. I'm a mother, I'm a daughter, I'm a sister, I'm an aunt, and uh, a dancer, a community member. I take pride in my um, involvement with our Round Valley Indian Feather Dancers and all of our other dance families that um, honor us and share their time and space with us. Uh, But as an outreach specialist for Mendocino College, I love the fact that Mendocino College offers a space in Round Valley on our reservation to provide higher education and pathways for our our community. And at this time, what we're working on is really trying to build those um, career pathways based on our needs in our valley. So Round Valley is a mixture of seven tribes that were forced onto the Round Valley Indian Reservation. Um, Recently, I have been able to be uplifted with the history and knowledge of the Yuki people. My father was a Yuki man. He was Yuki and uh, Little Lake Pomo. So my grandfather um, on my paternal side was Yuki. And with that, we didn't have a lot of history. And my father was a, uh, was, 
you know, had his culture taken away from him. He was went to the Indian school here. He was in the military. So while he was taken away from his culture, he did, um, what he did gain was his strength and ability to have respect for all other people. Um, he was, you know, loved his time in the service and going to school and working. He just had a heart, big heart for everybody um, <clears throat> and didn't let um, a lot of barriers hurt him and kind of kept that history of losing his culture from us. So um, we kind of knew and were protected from the history of our Yuki people. So to become, you know, an older adult and start to learn and actually have the um, access to the information and hear positive thoughts. It was a wonderful time for me recently to take part in our Yuki committee who worked on legislation with Assemblyman Ramos to um, strike the name of Hastings from um, UC Hastings Law School in San Francisco. Oh, <clears throat> that is an important step. That is wonderful that you're doing that. So with my ties and all of the wonderful people that I've got to work uh, work with alongside and um, in that legislative process and learning about, you know, there was there were many bills that were passed with ours and ours started out as an education bill. So it was kind of right up my alley because I am a, a very strong advocate in education and promoting higher education with our Native people. Um, and so uh, using those connections and learning process, I've kind of brought that to my work as well. And our college is really um, strongly supportive of supporting our tribes and bringing more, again, of those pathways to things that we need to help us, you know, get our lands back and learn how to manage them and be educated in those areas where we can work in agencies. So um, as an instructor, uh, you know, a little bit of history about myself. Um, you know, I've been through some very trying times in the justice system and with my lived experiences, I decided I actually got to meet um, well, it started out with, I was working in, in the school to, to put myself through school. I started working for our local school districts and realized the needs that our um, native youth needed um, a lot more support in the Ukiah High, in the Ukiah School District. I was like one of maybe three um, Native American um, teachers or staff in the system at the time or in our schools um, which was a big culture shock because coming from round valley you know the majority of our kids it's the opposite basically the majority of our kids and teachers are we're lucky that they're native american um, so it was kind of a culture shock and i realized the need there um, and went decided to change my business degree into a criminal justice, administrative justice career, career educational goal. And because I wanted to work with at-risk youth in the community. And, um, and I real, and I learned that juveniles were, you know, kind of under 
the um, probation. So I decided I wanted to be a probation officer so that I can work with again at risk youth. <clears throat> um, my my personal experience kind of led me to um, run into an amazing district attorney out of Lake County who just completely walked me through everything I needed step by step and was like on call at all times. And so it really changed my perspective and um, lived experiences that were negative dealing with the criminal justice system. And I then decided, you know, I need to go into this field. I want to teach this field. I want to make a change in our um, criminal justice areas and know that there's support out there that is helpful and not always, doesn't have to be negative. <clears throat> so in my first class, it was kind of, um, um, it was really cool to, you know, I, was, I always share this story that when I was in my first class, uh, my instructor, um, she, her name is Pamela Huston, and I dearly love her and look up to her. Um, she is a woman who had much experience in probation throughout several counties and now is working, helping with this creation of the pathways for Mendocino College. She is now part of the career planning um, for our college. And very, very helpful. But she asked, you know, the class, so why are you here? Do you, who wants to work in law enforcement? And like maybe two or three people raise their hand. And so she's like, okay. So she starts listing off specific agencies, you know, and she says, who wants to work for probation? And a bunch of us raise our hand. And she's like, okay. So first of all, I just want you all to know that all of those agencies are considered law enforcement. So it was kind of like um, humbling, very humbling to real to acknowledge that, okay, I didn't even, I want to work in this field, but I don't even understand it. So I take that with me with all of my classes and instruction, especially when we're uh, working on um, agency relationships, because I'm also a student at the University of Oklahoma, working on my master's degree in indigenous people's law. <clears throat> And one of the biggest barriers uh, as going back to, you know, my first interactions with um, native um, policies and such was when that I can, well, I've been through it all with my family has always been advocates, but um, I remember it really hitting me hard, not understanding our natural resource laws. And then when the gaming laws came through. So I've always had these questions in my head, you know, why is it different? Why, are, where are we at? Why is it so different for tribes and resident counties and state and federal? So I'm learning those things. Um, and so what I share in my classes is that because we are a PL 280 state, public law 280 state, which is different from many other states with a lot of Native Americans, is that we are agency ran. And, and what I, you know, my goal is to share with our Native people that it's important that we go out of our way to be the people that work in those agencies when it's, you know, protecting our, you know, if it's the fish and wildlife or whether it's EPA, natural resources, the water districts, and uh, that is my main goal with my um, teaching administrative justice and 
pursuing an Indigenous Peoples Law degree so that, you know, I can help um, build our, we have a very strong but small group of Native American lawyers in California. <clears throat> and at this time, we don't have a California law um, degree, you know, specific to California law. And so, which is why I'm studying, you know, online at a state. We have a lot of Native American studies programs in all of our schools, but no Native American or California law specifically because it's so different. So that's a little bit of what I do as an instructor. And that's my goals is to, again, create those pathways um, and encourage our Native Americans to become educated in these areas where we can be in these regulatory agencies and have our voices heard and be at the table. Um, from that, again, from my experience with the state and making those connections and networking, I was able to find a few uh, fellowships from one of our, we have a group of alumni from UC Hastings who have um, helped us and supported us throughout, for, for many years, the, um, our elders that have been on the committee and working for the UK have been in contact with them for years now. And um, I had the pleasure to be introduced to them and <clears throat> um, they have many, many resources for us and very strong supporters of our native people and the Yuki and uh, seeing us being in education. And uh, so I was able to, uh, I, they shared a few um, information with me on one of our, uh, alumni indeed and so as I was going through I found a few fellowships and applied for three and I got one of them with Education Trust. So Education Trust <clears throat> is a national program and it was kind of funny because um, I was going through all of these internships there were many 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 three of them that I qualified for and, you know, there was a lot of requirements that I just don't meet yet as far as, you know, maybe master's degree or work experience, whatever it may be. But I came up came upon one that had, you know, have you been recently incarcerated in the last three to five years? And I said, yes, I have. <laughs> Unfortunately, I got myself into some trouble. But, you know, it opened up this is the door that it opened for me and um i'm very thankful um you know i it again it humbled me to get myself into trouble because i've had my as i worked towards my goal of working in probation i had the opportunity to work with a reentry program and one of my my supervisor that hired me you know when i started she told me you know the the way that I go into this, because it can be difficult working with uh, probationers who might have done things that you're aware may be harmful or may, because we're in a small community and county, they might have done something to somebody you know, or, you know, it's just to protect yourself. Um, you have to be prepared to accept that you're here to help 
and to make changes in their lives and they might not be ready for it. So she gave me this, um, these words of, you know, the way that I go into it is to think that at any given time or any day, any moment, I can make one wrong decision and I could be in the same place. And so I, I take that with me, you know, I take that everywhere with me that it's true, we're all human, you know, we're all human, we can all make a mistake one day and it could completely change our lives. And uh, we can be in the same situation as anybody else, whether it be in um, the criminal justice system or homelessness or in an accident, uh, you know, we just have to be thoughtful, mindful. And so with that, I applied for the Justice Fellowship out of 500 applicants. I was chosen. I am the, we are the second cohort. I am the first Native American. Um, it was pretty cool to, in my first training. So I get to go to Washington, D.C. three or four times um, to, for training. In my first training, they brought in, so again, Education Trust is actually a national program. Uh, we are lucky enough to have a, uh, we have a site in Oakland. So there is opportunity for, you know, me to work to apply and reach out and do more fellowships or go into work there. Uh, but it was really great to see, you know, the leaders in DC come in to meet us as we were there. And they asked, you know, can you share briefly where you're from? Um, tell us who you are, where you're from. And when I mentioned, you know, my name's Nicole Whipple and I'm from the Round Valley Indian Reservation. They all kind of like took, took a step back and were like, oh, wow. Like I watched their mouths kind of drop and they were like, okay. Like, this is a first, and that's, you know, the same with my supervisors. They were like, you know, we talk a lot about incarceration and the effects of it, but we don't, and we have a lot of other groups, but we don't include the Native American people in their voice, and we're aware that, you know, you have, they were, that you guys have a voice as well, and these are your lands, and they were very excited to hear when I shared with them that, you know, we have to prove how Indian we are to be federally recognized, which isn't fair to get services. There's all of these uh, non-realistic um, assumptions of what Native American people have and get and all their special treatments. But realistically, we have a trilateral government system, which includes our sovereign nations for those of the, us that are recognized, and then the local, state, and the federal government level, which is difficult to navigate. And so they were very intrigued and wanted to learn more and hear more about our struggles. So that's where I'm at with um, the Justice Fellowship. But, you know, it's really invigorating that they're elevating the voices my of people who have been impacted by the justice system. Um, you know, I had the opportunity with, you know, my coworkers, our dance families, I share a lot of my information with them. And I loved hearing that, you know, realistically, 
that, you know, we are all criminals of war. And so I share that and just the statistics of um, incarceration are just outrageous. Um, you know, from my teachings, I've learned that Reagan's three strikes um, policy is has forced us to where we are today, where we are, um, where the United States in general um, holds the highest imprisonment rate globally. And, um, you know, it, it, for me, it all ties together because I'm all about education, reentry, and teaching people new things. And I can't fathom the amount of money that we spend to incarcerate and cage people, I believe, is inhumane. And then the amount of we charge for education, um, it, the numbers just really bother me. So I really am... Um, very proud and thankful for my opportunity to work with Ed Trust. And then on the other scope, (laughs) yes. I'm so impressed, congratulate. I did not know that you were the first uh, native to be a part of that fellowship. So congratulations on that, That's, that's amazing. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, it's it's great, it was great to really hear the, like again, the supervisors asking, you know, they want to know more, they want to hear more. And I actually was offered, um, I was recently on a podcast to talk about um, the tribal court systems and um, I will share that with you. Um, It was a great podcast and um, group of panelists as well. And, you know, again, the questions, you know, they. I think it's people ask broad questions so many times about like, oh, well, what's it like on the reservation? And it's like, well, which one? <laughs> you know, we get this, um, we kind of all get thrown together as if we're like all just one people and we're not. It's like every reservation is different. Every needs is different. You can't just jumble us all together. But <clears throat> So outside of that, I'm also working with Save California Salmon. And so Save California Salmon is um, is into the Native American tribal ecological uh, knowledge education and promoting that, working with Humboldt State Cal Poly. Um, and so those are things that I would like to share that we have coming up as far as uh, we have the Fixing the World Restoration, which really is based around the dam removal up north. Um, as you had shared, Karen, you know, our tribe, we are, um, our tribe is seven tribes, and we basically have been forced into the valley, and the descendants from our tribe actually go from the border of Nevada. Um, and California all the way to the coast. That's how big our ancestral background, Aboriginal territories reach. And so as all of our tribes are, you know, fighting for water and justice and rights, you know, I've jumped on to California salmon to create more of those networks and find ways to bring justice in our natural resources. And so we are looking for support um, 
with to support all of our native people in Indian country and the fight for our waters and really for Round Valley, our Eel River project, we need support in um, bringing those dams down as well and, you know, bringing our fish habitat back and uh, Save California Salmon is a great resource to not only bring back um, those protect teaching, they're really teaching the process to Indian country on how to advocate and go about the legislative process in protecting okay, so, our waters. Um, we're going to be wrapping up our interview with you, but I'm wanting to know how can people get involved to support um, the Save the Salmon? Save California Salmon is online right now um, you can find them on facebook ig and just looking them up under um save california salmon californiasalmon.org what we are looking for is public comments um there are many public comments that are coming up um that would be great for um, supporters to provide to the uh Senate on Natural Resources, and you can find them uh, on Senate Senate California Senate page. You'll find hearing dates and how to um, submit letters of support, public comment. And there's also the voluntary agreements that are going on, which is a change of uh, the way in which. Um, you know, these agencies, as I talked about, where Public Law 280 states, how the agencies handle and deal with Native Americans. Um, the state's trying to take that away from us, um, The which, you know, they've never, haven't truly applied to our Native. We've continued to fight because we're always being left out, but federal law says, which created PL 280, says that, you know, Native Americans have to be involved and there has to be an impact report before these projects happen. So, um, you know, writing letters um, in support of those, uh, uh, in opposition of those voluntary agreements to not remove us would be, is, you know, a, a need in Indian country and for any supporters to, who are in support of Native people and their rights. Thank you so much, Nicole. It's great to talk to you. We could have talked for a lot longer. <laughs> I'm definitely going to have to have you come back and talk um, some more. I'm going to um, let everybody know. Thank you for listening to Good Ancestors and Local Treasures with Corrine Pierce on KZYX, Philo, 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah, 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. We are celebrating Women's History Month today with two amazing guests. We just finished talking to Nicole Whipple, and we are going to talk to Monique Sinoqui. It gives me great pleasure to introduce her. Um, she's Tongva, Chumash, Yaki, and Irish. She's a cultural practitioner, teacher, author, artist, poet, cultural consultant, and health instructor, as well as a board member on several nonprofit organizations. I met Monique probably over a decade ago. Um, she gifted me a really beautiful Seek Help rattle, and then we never saw each other again. And then in the last couple of years since COVID, we have um, had the opportunity to collaborate on art projects, to do classes together. 
and I'm so grateful that she is here to talk. Uh, I know she's snowed in at home, so good morning, Monique Sintamana. Kadi uh, Sintamana, I'm good, thank you. And yes, it's snowing. <laughs> I'm not sure how I'll make it home today. I don't think you will. <laughs> oh, good grief. <laughs> so tell everybody about who you are and what you do in our community. Well, first, I want to say I love your show, um, and I'm really proud to be located in Pomo Territories. I kind of got here in a roundabout way. Uh, about 20 years ago, I met, met Dave Smith from Point Arena, and um, he was at an event at San Francisco State when I was there. And he turned around, and he was going to do some singing, and he turned around, and he said, you're Chumash. Here's a clapper stick. I need backup. And so for like the last 20, 25 years, I've been doing backup for Dave Smith um, and dancing with different Pomo groups and singing with them. So I'm really honored to be here. I kind of landed here because of COVID. My friends had a baby and needed some help and I've been here ever since. Um, and kind of just have settled in and been fortunate to work with a lot of the um, basket weavers like yourself and the tribes and Indian health and other nonprofits. So um, I'm just really excited about that. I, I am um, non-federally recognized and Nicole kind of touched on that, which means that um, like ne there's none of the Tungva bands that are federally recognized from the federal government. And there's only one Chumash band that's recognized um, and so that's kind of where we sit. That means that we don't get any, um, any real resources, no Indian health, no casino money, of course, no education money. So I've kind of been all on my own throughout my education and the work I do. And, but because of that, I, I started my own nonprofit back in like 1999 with some other native women, um, in the same, with the same circumstances and um, we're the Indigenous Youth Foundation. We started in Santa Barbara and we've actually changed to Indigenous Communities Initiatives. And we're kind of reaching out, including um, Pacific Islands and, and other tribes, because I really have worked kind of anywhere I've lived or anywhere that needed some assistance, any communities, um, kind of just offered our nonprofit to helping them with um, cultural, environmental, education programming. So I still pretty much do that kind of work and have been able to really um, settle in here in, um, like I said, Pomo territory to kind of just continue that, that kind of work that I do. Um, do you have That's a so question <laughs> before I get started? I, yeah, well, I wanted to um, talk about the book that you wrote because we, um, one of my other jobs is as a cultural education coordinator for the school district, and we bought uh, a whole bunch of your books that we're going to distribute to uh, the elementary schools. And I'm, I was wondering if you would talk about the book that you wrote and also the books that you've made with the tribal youth. Yeah, so um, with my nonprofit, the Indigenous Youth Foundation, um, we would take youth on you know, field trips and introduce them to different elders and just kind of um, just just did as much as we could and as, as much whatever they wanted to do, the elders or the youth wanted to do. And um, I, I did video and I still do video, but I was videoing a lot of the elders that I was with and a lot of events because I would come home and 
I thought the kids need to see where I'm getting this information from, not hearing it from me. So I started to interview um, this one Chumash elder, Grandfather Semu. And after probably a couple of years and a lot of video, he mostly just talked about being in the military and, and boxing and, um, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and finally, when he realized that I was here, you know, for the, for the long haul, he started opening up and telling me a lot of cultural information. And one of the things is he shared with me some traditional stories. And one of them was um, a Chumash creation story. One of the Chumash creation stories, because there's, like I said, 14 different bands. There's actually seven different Chumash languages. So that means there's seven different I wouldn't even classify them as Chumash, but we've been classified as such by anthropologists there, but seven different languages and then dialects off of that. So, so one of the um, creations he talked about um, is how women were born first from the dolphin and men were born from the sharks and women um, learned from the dolphins how to raise the children, you know, play a lot of playing and um, gathering food, working together. And where men were born from the shark and they, um, that's why they're the hunters and they're kind of silent. And so, you know, I said, grandpa, you know, this is a great story. I've never seen it written or heard anybody tell it. Can I share it with the youth? And he said, yes, anyway, you know, video or books or any, tell, just tell them whatever you want to do. So I worked with a friend of mine who's Choctaw. Um, he's an artist. And we came up with some drawings and I just asked for two drawings, one with a female, a woman in dolphin and one with male and shark. And he did those. And then when I went to see him, he had like five more, five more um, pieces, art pieces. And then pretty soon we had enough for a book. So I had to go around with my nonprofit and try to find funding, which was a lot harder than I thought it was. So I did a little video of it, like a, a three minute, five minute video. Um, and narrated it and had some song. And with that, we got funding to do our first print of like 3000 books. Now I couldn't find anybody to publish it for me. So I had to self publish it. So I had to learn all that stuff, just reading. And I talked to a lot of native authors who have done other books um, to see what they thought was best, how to introduce the language, how to you know do the introduction and the, the language key. And so, so we did it and we've done two prints and I'm looking at doing a third print. Now, the, the good thing about the self-publishing, I thought it was a bad thing, but the good thing was, is that, um, you know, we got a, a grant to do the first one and the second one by selling the books, we were able to do a second print, but also um, we were able to give away as many books as we want. So back in the day when we had, you know, the first run, we gave away probably half of our books. And I did a lot of classroom presentations on Chumash culture. So we always gave a book to the classroom. And um, when we did in Santa Barbara, when we did um, like, like solstice dinners and, and or we got new families to come to our, our culture classes, we always gave them books. So that was something like a, a perk that I really appreciate now, you know, that because um, some of us just don't have money to buy books. Um, and our youth. I want all Chumash youth to have this book and any other youth that we can. So I've been able to um, sell it to different Native schools and Native programs. And I also um, do classes on how to write your own books, how to self-publish your own books, um, because this was the first, you know, Native Chumash 
pub published um, book that was that had been done and we're able to tell our own stories and we're able to like I had to do a lot of research and check with a lot of elders and even check with a lot of different tribes on their creation stories and if you know they crossed or you know what we shared so definitely that was something significant and then off of that um, I had some foster kids one year and or a couple of years and uh, one of our sons lots of times these foster kids come with nothing they come with a bag of clothes and so I wanted our son and daughter to go off with something of their own that was just their own that they could always keep so um my partner took our son out to go Ealing they were Yurok Yurok children I was on the Yurok reservation and he said come down and take some pictures for us and so I went down and then I I thought oh I'm going to put this in a book for our son and um so we did a little book and it's called Buck Goes Ealing, and it's all the photographs of his whole process of getting dressed. And here's his eel hook, and this is we have to walk this trail, and this is how he hooks, and this is how we cook it. And so he had that, and it was also a, you know, it's a it's a historic documentation. So he'll always know how to, you know, go ealing. Um, and other youth will know how to do that. And then I did one with my daughter, and she liked to run track. You know, Aaliyah likes to run, and then I worked with the um, Indian Land Tenure Program at Hoopa Elementary School and did a few books on acorn gathering, seaweed gathering with the youth from the elementary school. So again, they, you know, it, it honors them. And then we ask elders and um, potentially turn it into um, like Yurok and Hoopa language learning books also. So I, I advocate for that because you know, I may not remember, or I may not be here anymore, but if you have this, this document, then you can go out and you remember when to gather and where to gather and how to prepare it and, you know, how to cook it, that kind of stuff. So that's been like one of the highlights of my life, I think, is, is working with youth and bringing these traditional stories to youth. Um, and again, advocating other, other Native peoples to write down their stories, because if we don't do it, someone's going to do it, and they're probably going to get some really important things wrong. So yeah, so that's just really exciting to do it. And I do a lot of work with youth, a lot of um, art and culture and, um, you know, traditional foods classes and kind of really whatever they want to do. <laughs> but um, what, you know, working towards bringing culture back. So we would do with our nonprofit, take them to conferences on like Indian health conferences and California Indian conference. And we'd have acorn camp where they'd all come and we'd just gather acorns. And, and I, to be honest with you, I'd bring all my acorns from last year and they'd crack all my acorns for me. So that was like a really big help. And I still kind of enjoy doing that because when you're gathering acorns to make for ceremony or for um, events, it's a lot of acorns to crack on your own. So I get all these kids to crack all my acorns for me now. Um, and then, you know, going out and gathering and teaching them where the water is and how to find your own food um, and, you know, kind of throw in that emergency stuff, you know, what plants can be used for if you have a cut or if you get sick for your stomach. So they always know, you know, I used to I sometimes I use essential oils that I, I buy because some people it's just easier and the kids would say, oh, auntie, I, I smelled you coming. You know, I either smelled like sage or I smelled like mint oil 
or, you know, I'd bring a, a carload of sage and we'd sit down and we'd wrap sage. So really just getting our children used to have smelling those herbs and kind of triggering, oh, I'm sick, you know, oh, I have a cold, you know, I need to burn this medicine or I need to make this tea or I need to rub this oil on me. So really that's kind of what I, I focus on now mostly is um, health and healing. That is so cool. And I know um, I know you do Tai Chi, and I, I just wanted to share a story. So Monique does Tai Chi, but she um, indigenizes it. So she gives the moves uh, names that are more meaningful in our culture. And she did a Tai Chi class with the kids at the Boys and Girls Club, and they loved it. And they came over to me and they were like, can she come every day? Can she come again? It was so, so cute. I'm, I'm really grateful that you were able to do that. Um, but we are, we are almost out of time. But I wanted to ask you, um, well, first of all, I want to let everybody know that Monique has a really amazing basket and quilt in the current exhibit that's at the Grace Hudson Museum about seaweed. And Really quickly, I'm wondering if you would talk about um, where your inspiration for your seaweed and kelp baskets comes from. Um, well, I've, I've been fortunate to learn basket weaving from a lot of different tribes here in California, and I love to eat seaweed. So I was out gathering seaweed to eat one day, and um, I always pick up trash, and I got a lot of shells, and I only had one basket or one bag for the seaweed. So I was like, oh, I need a basket. And I just saw this kelp, big, long, like bullhead kelp laying around. And I'm like, I'm just going to sit and weave a basket. It looks like it'll work. I wove a basket, you know, a big basket, put all my trash and, and shells in it and brought it home and kind of forgot about it in the corner and came out a week later. And it was really hard and, and dense. And I'm like, oh, this works. So the next time I went, I started gathering and I do that now. I just sell my kelp baskets at, you know, big times in crafts fairs and, um, yeah, it's just fun. It's, you know, they're biodegradable, they're organic, they don't cost any money. And it's, it's healing work working with seaweed. Absolutely. Kelp. Absolutely. I love working with seaweed and I love the baskets you make. And I'm very excited that your quilt is, uh, your quilt was part of the safety and sovereignty exhibit that happened at the Art Center Ukiah. And now it's in the Great Hudson Museum. In April, it will be over in Middletown and then in Willits, and it's traveling all around. It's really, really beautiful. Um, so we are about out of time, and I wanted to say thank you to my guests. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you, Monique, for spending this snowy morning with me, this very cold day. I hope you guys both stay safe. I know we're all about the same elevation, um, so we probably won't be going anywhere else. So you were my captive um, my captive guest today. Yawi, thank you so much for being with me. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, I am going to take my leave here. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.